0: Hi everyone, and thanks for coming back. Today's episode is on Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards, and you have Cherie to thank for that. You're welcome. As always, you don't have to watch the movie in order to listen to the episode, but we always recommend it as we will never stray away from spoilers, and there are definitely some big spoilers in this episode. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about the award-winning performances, set design, and the overall writing and plot of this movie, so let's get rolling. I'm your host, Audrey. And I'm your co-host, Cherie. So sit back, relax, and please don't silence your phone while we check your cinematic pulse. Okay, so on first impressions, Sheree, I got to ask you, why'd you pick this movie?
1: <laughs> okay, so I think I've talked with you before that this is one of two movies in my life that I bought the DVD for before ever having watched the film because I was just like, the trailer and all the subsequent subsequent trailers and like clips you'd see on TV, I was like, this film looks very interesting. And I already liked Quentin Tarantino as like a young whatever age I was in 2009, um, mm-hmm. how old was I in 2009? 2009 I was definitely we in would have been school. 15 and 16 yeah and my brother he worked at <laughs> the now dead blockbuster and I was like Aaron Aww. bring I this movie home for me because they were selling the movie at this point like it, like they weren't going to hold it. That's in the right. More. You
0: did tell me about this. That's bananas. I don't think that I would have like looked at this trailer and thought, "Yeah, that's a movie I absolutely have to have." I've, I've done been, that,
1: but not for this movie. I've always been fascinated with World War II in and of itself and every everything and everyone surrounding it. Mean, same. Again. But what really got me was Brad Pitt's performance in the trailer because all I did once that trailer came <laughs> out was quote him. I mean, everyone remembers the trailer,
0: the, um, like the nine, 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 nine. Oh yes, 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 yes. Yes. I still remember that from the trailer and it's hilarious.
1: (laughs) I cannot tell you how often my brother and I quoted and still quote to this day, Lieutenant Aldo Rain's monologue after the first 20 minutes of the film. (sighs) Love that film. I I also picked it because I, again, I'd seen enough clips at that point where I was like, I'm buying this movie. I know it's going to be good. So if we're talking first impressions, the first time I watched this film, I was just a little high school kid, absolutely enamored by Christoph Waltz's performances, Hans Landa. It was my my favorite part of this film for the longest time. He is phenomenal. Terrifying as a villain. Mm. mm. This is just first impressions, so we're not going to go into it too much yet, but he is (laughs) my favorite part of this film and still is my favorite part of this film to this day. Okay, I, I so, instantly just loved the film.
0: So first impressions for me, I, uh, college was when I like really started to branch back out into movies. Like that were like, a, like highly acclaimed. I really hadn't watched a lot up to that point, but like being an English and education major, I had to expand my film repertoire mm-hmm. either for class or just for pop culture, um, awareness and knowledge, and and so I started watching a lot more of these types of movies in college, so I could be aware of like superculture relevant films. And I remember watching this, and the person who made me watch it didn't prepare me at all. <laughs> so shame on them. Um, yeah, let's, let's just do a disclaimer. Like, let's, let's watch quit. this movie. Let's do a disclaimer. This film is gore. Disclaimer. This is not a family-friendly movie. It's rated R. Do not R. let your children watch it. No. If you do, I'm gonna shame on you. Shame on you for letting your children watch this movie. It's a rated like, R.
1: If you don't like gore, or I mean, oh, people, I mean, I had to a find lot. a special place in my stomach that
0: was clinical and knew that it wasn't real in order to watch this movie. And I still can't watch the very ending scene. And you know which one I'm talking about. The scene with oh, uh, the with very Brad Pitt and very Oh, can't do it can't I still can't do it I covered my eyes I am 29 years old and I covered my eyes like a child
1: I no, I watch it full display
0: (laughs) nope couldn't do it I knew it was coming I saw it the first time and I was like oh no and covered my face uh and still remember like half of it and it Mm. lives in my brain unfortunately and so this time I was like nope it's fine it still exists in my brain I'll remember from the first time I watched it I don't need
1: to see it again but yeah, if you don't um, like blood, you, this is not your film. If you don't like gore and <sighs> really awful things being done to human beings, don't watch this film. I
0: mean, it is it is a quintessential t- Quentin Tarantino. It very much it? is. That's it, hard to say. That's right. like a tongue twister.
1: Quintessential um, Quentin Tarantino.
0: Quintin- Ooh, quintessential Quentin Tarantino.
1: Wow. Peter Piper s- picked a peck. <laughs> I'm sick, and I can still say it. So, well, um,
0: <laughs> so. So yeah, but that being said, gory and terrifying, um, but very well written, and while being fictitious, does very much pay really good homage to the genre of World War II movies. Not only World Um, War II,
1: but it also, because Quentin Tarantino is a, like, he does, like, a lot of his films have Western themes. This still pays hmm, homage to that as well.
0: Yes, yes, it does. Um, I it was so funny because like the opening, I like to get into music just to smidge in. The opening theme starts playing, and I'm like, "Ooh, what's with the western music?" Well, that, and then I was I'm like, glad you
1: brought that up because Inyo Morricone, who like Quentin Tarantino uses a lot of his music, but a lot of his music mm-hmm. in the past was used in westerns, like The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. a lot a of his music—that's actually the, why I love the end of the film, the song, at the very end. It has Western vibes to it. Oh man, mm-hmm. I do love a lot of his music,
0: and it's because this is kind of there's a honestly there's a lot of allusion, not even not even like a allusion, but there's a lot of like referential humor mm-hmm. in that usage almost because oh yeah, um, for sure. If. Like if I was going to describe this movie, it would be actually I think I saw it described somewhere. I think they called it not a not a spaghetti western, but they called it like a macaroni combat movie.
1: Kind, kind like of in
0: in on Omb- Well, That's what like, like he literally that's what he called it, what Tarantino called it was like a macaroni combat war movie. It makes sense um, because it's it's kind of done in the style of a spaghetti western which okay for, for people who are wondering spaghetti westerns were a specific genre of westerns that were filmed outside of the United States traditionally by directors who were not American themselves but really liked the Western film genre wasn't Italians? They filmed they were yeah they were Italian directors yeah mm-hmm. hence the whole spaghetti moniker um but yeah it was Italian directors who would film them in Europe. And, but they would still film Westerns often with some misunderstood tropes because there were some cultural, you know, like misses because Mm -hmm. they weren't American filmmakers. Um, So that's what spaghetti Westerns are a reference to was non-American made, specifically Italian film made Westerns. Um, And that's what this is. That's what this kind of is because it's, it's a world war two movie obviously shot. um, I think it, isn't it shot on location? It is shot in
1: Germany. It shot. Oh yeah, I, I shot have it in fun Germany. Fun things to tell you about it. Love it.
0: Um, with with specifically ethnically correct actors, people who were born in Germany, in Austria, in France, like people. The who casting
1: spoke was impeccable. Natively.
0: Oh my gosh, I was like bl- just blown away by the casting. Plus Brad Pitt.
1: <laughs> All of them.
0: Not to say that he didn't do an amazing job, but like you don't you don't have this to. This is my favorite Brad for Pitt film.
1: A kid from Tennessee. I loved it. This is my favorite Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt's film. not from Tennessee, is he? I don't know. I think he's from Oklahoma, but don't quote me on that. If I'm right, that's I'm almost off. disappointed in myself. Hold on.
0: Let's go find out. Where's Brad Pitt from? Let's see. Springfield, Missouri. I was close. No, hold on. Brad Pitt was born December 18th, 1963, in Shawnee, Oklahoma, I and raised don't in know Springfield,
1: Missouri. How I knew that.
0: Ma'am,
1: that's. Brad, I mean, honestly, like, no, Brad Pitt isn't even like the Midwest. He's not even one of my favorite actors. Like, there's nothing wrong with Brad Pitt. Linguistically, that is the Midwest. How do I know that?
0: How do I do know you know that? How Oklahoma? do you know that? It's not only... Like, Hashtag cinematic man. pulse.
1: Hmm.
0: Love you. Brad we started Pitt. the right podcast, let me
1: tell you. <laughs> come to our come on our show, Brad, Brad Pitt.
0: <laughs> yes, please. We're also from the Midwest, so like we can vibe. Right. Um, so yeah, that was, that was first impressions. Let's let's talk about casting, because Brad Pitt was excellent, had one of, like, the best affected, like, southern accents that I've ever heard, next to Sandra Bullock in The Blind
1: Side. <laughs> I actually, like, I would say 30% of why I love this film is Brad Pitt and <laughs> his accent. It's Gor- amazing! Oh Colonel God. Hans Landa. <laughs> I like I I will just oh. quote his word like his words in my head from this film <laughs> all the time. Oh my gosh, it is so good. I mean, like really though, just
0: his line like the killing Nazis is like iconic. my dad says that because it's iconic. iconic. <laughs> it's so good. But um, okay, so I was going to ask you who was your favorite casting choice for this movie? Christoph Waltz to the day I die. Okay, Waltz. Like, Waltz. Other than it's Christoph a- Waltz, because that's a given.
1: Um, it's I like, it's um, like the
0: Bible being at the top of the New York bestseller list every single month and they just don't print it because it's the Bible. What's your <laughs> next
1: favorite pick? Man. When I was younger, I would have probably said, ooh, Daniel Brühl as, uh, Frederick Zoller. Mm. And for I was who, so excited for people who- To see him know, in this movie. Right. Because for a lot of people, they only know him as Baron Zemo from Civil War yeah. and, um, Falcon and Winter Soldier.
0: Yeah. So for people who are like trying to connect the dots, he's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe mm-hmm. as like the nemesis in Captain America: Civil War. He's the guy who uh, kind of wakes up um, Sebastian Stan's character when I and saw him using him for his own nefarious
1: or nefarious purposes. When I saw him in Civil War, I was like, oh, "It's my dude! It's my dude from Inglorious Bastards." Oh, see, okay. I think
0: I saw that and I was like, I had one of those like, why do I recognize that actor moment? And shameless plug for IMDb because I was like, who is this guy? And had to IMDb the movie and be like, oh, I know him. It is- so then now watching it, I'm like, he's like the same character. I'll bet it's his grandfather.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's underappreciated, but he, I really think he did such a good job in this film of uh, he for mm-hmm. like you kind of feel like under all of that like and it comes out eventually in his character that like, under all that like cute boy charm is someone who's like okay you should like me and he's really trying to push that on to um shojana he's like oh you mm-hmm. should like me I'm this war hero like me like he me he really like me. yeah
0: he comes off as, like, a mix of that, like, if I were to describe it, like, the, like, the basketball player trope in, like, high school, like, romance, like, kids, not kids, but like, teenage movies. Like, he comes off kind of like the the jerky guy who, like, knows he's all that and, like, tries to come on to a girl... You know, but like awkwardly because he knows that he's See, I all that. Say that's he was like jerky. the weird charm. It, no, he wasn't. He wasn't jerky. It was like it was like a little bit of like puffed upness. Yes, you know, yes. like he he knows that he's all that, and he knows that because he's all that that girls should fall at his feet, and so he's a little bit irritated, and then becomes awkwardly pushy when Emmanuel uh, does not in fact fall over at his feet,
1: mm-hmm. swoon if you will. But honestly, like, it, how do you even pick favorites in this film, like? Ha- you know, no, 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 Crystal Waltz so is like, Hans Landa is like a given. He won, he swept award seasons with that character. Mm-hmm. But like, you, they're just everyone was so expertly picked for this film. It's hard to pick. Even the minor characters. Like, Michael Fassbender's in this film for like 20 minutes. If that. I know! And he's so fantastic. Fantastic. I wanted to bring this
0: up. I wanted to bring up Michael Fassbender. Uh, fun fact, Simon Pegg was actually supposed to play... Uh, his Michael Fassbender's character. Really? But because of scheduling conflicts, he couldn't make it to How filming, and so they cast Fassbender instead. And then, other fun fact, when Fassbender was doing his audition, he asked Tarantino about auditioning for... Um, what am I blanking on? Uh, Colonel, Colonel Landa. He asked about auditioning for Colonel Landa because he, he does, he can speak German Mm -hmm. and Quentin Tarantino responded really sassily and kind of rudely and was like, look, man, anyone who's been cast as Heathcliff is not German enough to play my Landa.
1: (laughs) Well, here's the thing too. Like again, I'm I'm sorry. This is going to be the, I love Christoph Waltz episode. So I mean, this man speaks, he's a polyglot. I know he at least speaks mm-hmm. four languages. He might speak more. And he does them expertly in this film. I just, the so first time good. I saw this film, I was just like, well, he speaks German, he speaks French, and he speaks English all in the first 20 minutes. Mm hmm. Yep. All in the first 20 minutes. Which, the first 20 minutes of this movie
0: are so beautifully and expertly <sighs> done. Yes. Like, yes. can we talk about just The only just notes the, I made the for opening. this film
1: were the first 20 minutes.
0: And then the rest of it, you're like, I'm gonna just watch this movie. I mean, that's
1: basically it for me. I love this film so much because it's just cinematically wonderful. Which, and like, I don't know, the opening of a movie,
0: it's like the opening of a book. It matters so much. And you have to hook your readers, hook your viewers right off the bat. Or they may just, like, stop watching. Mm -hmm. Um, And, which, I mean, like, obviously it's a Quentin Tarantino movie. So, like, people are gonna go and watch it in the theaters. But your opening still matters. It sets the tone for your production, um, like from a writing perspective, which I feel like I should have that on a t-shirt, I say that at least once an episode, um, <laughs> editors <laughs> editors will literally open a manuscript and read the first page, and if they're not hooked after the first page, they'll just straight up toss the manuscript.
1: Yeah, you have only and so many pages to get someone to like your script.
0: The same thing, and the same thing is said for movies. Like, your opening is crucial, and like I said, it sets the tone for your whole production, and the opening of this movie is just gold, because you're, like, you've seen the trailer for this, and it just opens on this French countryside dairy farm, which, like, I would desperately want fall. to buy some milk from. Like, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And and you're, like, how does this play into the movie? So, like, from the beginning of it, you're curious. Mm-hmm. And then the Gestapo rolls up. And so... Which, and, and then it, all of it's in French too, which mm-hmm. is awesome. I love movies that like intentionally start out with being in a different language. Um, I love which it, I actor... love that it just in
1: general, it'll be in a different language.
0: Mm hmm. I think it was like some 40% of this movie was in, in a language other than English. Totally loved and it. And there are like, I think there was like a 25 minute stretch of the movie where English isn't even spoken once. I can believe it. And that's amazing, considering it's directed by an American. Right. And, and, apparently, Tarantino, during the non-English scenes, he did not, like, keep a translator. He never looked at, like, the
1: translated
0: version of his script. He just directed it purely on instinct.
1: Well, not only, well, you, at that point, you kind of, you have to assume your actors know what they're saying. And it comes down to, you're right. watching the performance. You are directing the performance. Right, and but,
0: that's so I mean like that's true. But also like I know that there are directors, um, like Peter Jackson during Lord of the Rings was one, which I mean I will bring that up until I'm blue in the face and make you do an episode with me. <sighs> but he brought it up in Lord of the Rings where, like, he would do a shot and then he would literally go to someone like Sir Christopher Lee, who is a, a, a phenomenal actor and not usually does not usually have to do more than one take, and he would say, that was great, but can you do it this way? Say this word like this. Say this word like this. Put this intonation here. And then they would shoot it again and again and again until he was perfectly happy with it. And when you're shooting in... A foreign language, especially like a language that you don't speak at all, you just have to trust that even in that language, the character's intonation is what you need it to be right. for your scene. Because obviously this movie did get translated and, and dubbed in multiple languages, and then the actors who um, did their dubbing, or the actors who did speak the languages, did their own dubbing for mm-hmm. those foreign releases.
1: Really? Um, cool.
0: hmm Yeah, like there was... I don't know, there was some actor who, well, anyway, I don't know, this is a fun fact about like him mixing uh, languages in order to get his role, um, and I forget which actor it was. But yeah, so they would use the, the actors who spoke those languages when they dubbed the movie for Spanish and German and French, they would just still use them, because they That's really cool. did speak the languages. I know. Like, that's absolutely awesome.
1: Um, I will also say, a lot of people in Europe, especially in, like, the Germany region, because Germany is surrounded by several countries, a lot of Germans do speak multiple languages. That should be said. So. Yes, I will But Christoph Waltz just knowing every language is still impressive to me. And, like, he really fluently, is The only
0: language that he didn't know, know, and had to learn for the movie was his Italian at the and theater. And he still sounded great. The scene great. with Brad Pitt. I know! I mean, like, you know, me, too, took, like, Spanish 2.5 in high school, and that was it. <laughs> That's, like, me with my German. I'm I like, yeah, that like sounds like fluent Italian. Eight years.
1: I'm like, right? I don't remember nothing.
0: Right? I was very proud of myself. There were some scenes where the German wasn't subtitled, because either it wasn't important, or... Um, or Tarantino didn't want you to know what they said, and I could understand. That's something it. It I I thought about myself. a lot
1: during the film. I was like, the German isn't often dubbed, and I was like, I can pick up the gist of what they're saying, but not every word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like that's pretty
0: cool because like I feel like in America, especially when we were growing up, like the only other language that was offered in schools was like Spanish. And French, that's what you got.
1: German was specifically yeah. in my school because get... my town was like half of the town I grew up in. Like the west side of my town is very Germanic.
0: Oh, so yours was, like, a, a locality thing. Mm-hmm. Um, our school was so small, we only had Spanish offered. Um, mm-hmm. Which, I mean, like, some of it still sticks with me. I can say whole Bible verses in Spanish. That's about it. <laughs> I can- <laughs> I mean, that's about it. Um, I can impress my friends. It's like a party trick. Um, other than that, that's all the foreign language I know. Except for now, like, now that I have traveled, I know some German. I have, like, a functional understanding of Korean. But that's that's about it. So, I don't know, it's just, it's impressive have, being able to know all of those languages um, and speak them with convincing ease, mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. to my untrained American ear. And be like, yeah, that sounds right. Um. So, talking about the opening of this movie means we're going to talk about music because there is none in the opening scene. And I love it. Um, Once they, like, enter the little uh, shack of the Muppetite family, it is, is in fact, a French countryside cottage, you're correct, Um, the music is just, like, just stops. Uh And I love when filmmakers choose to do this because you could either have your composer try to do something like tension building and like maybe it'll be hit or miss for some people but delete the music and you make everyone uncomfortable and here
1: the the thing is too is like you know like the nazis are involved you already know it's bad news Mm Hmm. yes
0: yes which i wanted to talk about that too because i realized um and this just kind of comes from like what i'm seeing i don't know just in in the world today that like this movie, like, watching this almost 15 years later Mm -hmm. tugs on a decent amount of, like, filed away knowledge regarding World War II. Um, Like, things that like, are not so frequently being taught in our schools anymore. I've unfortunately seen a lot of news articles about this because teachers find it unsettling or, like, triggering to talk about. Which, I mean, it is unsettling. It's awful what the Nazis did to people. But so then they just, like, don't teach it in school. So, like, there's a whole chunk of a generation who, like, didn't know that World War II was a race war. And I think watching this 15 years later, like, people now that will watch this movie might miss a lot of like the really important information that you not like need to know but is helpful to understand context of this movie because they don't understand just how horrible some of the atrocities were that they were being committed to the Jewish people. And I don't know like it just it brought up a lot of information for me that I like forgot that I knew. And I was like, "Oh, like okay, let me give you for instance. Um the scene in the restaurant when Shoshana um, re-meets uh, Hans Landa for, like, the first time, mm-hmm. right? That horrible scene where you're like, oh my
1: gosh, it's him and Man, it's her. so much to say about and, that scene, too. Man.
0: And he... It, you, like, question, like, does he know it's her? Does he not know it's her? I don't think he knows it's I her. I sit and, and still wonder if he knew. And I think... I don't think he knew. I don't think he did he either. he does... What he does is probably something that he always does to try to suss out Jewish people. And it's really telling, and you don't know this unless you know anything about the Jewish culture. He orders her a strudel, which, fine. And he, she goes to eat it, and he's like, oh, silly me, I forgot to order the cream. And and he tells her, like, no, 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 wait, wait for the cream, wait for the cream, and then... And then they do a really, like, big deal of doing, like, a close-up on that beautiful dish of cream mm-hmm. that goes... It's, like, a whipped cream that goes on top of the strudel. And he says, okay, now try it now. And he's like, oh, make sure you get some of the cream. And she makes, like, kind of a big show of taking, like, a yeah. scoop full of the strudel and the cream mm-hmm. and taking a bite of it. Which, for those of you who don't know about Jewish culture, that's not okay in Jewish culture. Um For Jewish people, um, consuming dairy and dairy products is okay, but it has to be under certain circumstances. The dairy product has to be kosher, which means it has to come from a kosher animal and it has to have been prepared on kosher equipment and with kosher utensils. And there's no way for her to know that Mm -hmm. at that time. In fact, it probably wouldn't have been because they're in German-occupied France and Jews aren't hated in that current culture. So no, they're not going to make their dishes kosher. On top of that, the like gelatin, like the raspberry gelatin would have been made from, it would have been an animal byproduct. And that's the other thing that you can't do when consuming dairy is mix it with other animal byproducts. Hmm. So like two no-nos that for her and her culture that she's not supposed to do, but because she can't out herself as Jewish, she has to eat it anyway in front of him to... Cast off any suspicion. and then he
1: gets the milk. dang sis. Good detective work.
0: And then he gets the milk. Good detective work. So it's it's things like that that, like, unless you know about the Jewish people and the Jewish culture and how they were so horribly oppressed and treated during World War Two, you miss a lot of important themes in this movie. Good detective because of the. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I absolutely loved this movie because even though it was fictitious, I mentioned this in the intro. Like even though it's it was fictitious, it still really paid, um, still really paid homage to the spirit of World War II. Like non fictitious, mm-hmm. non fictitious movies, um, and I real I really appreciated that.
1: It also um, shows especially you because continue. Hmm, go go ahead. Ahead. I was going to say it also shows you just how smart Hans Landa is. This man, yes. Oh, he's cunning. He's he is. He's so a predator cunning. for sure. Yes, he comes in very charming, unassuming. Like, oh, I'm just gonna come into your house and we're gonna talk about the Jewish families in your area. Mm. And which then, all good
0: villains are like that. I love anyone who acts their villain character like
1: that because it's oh, it's bone chilling. It's bone chilling, and you the you know the moment is about to switch because the camera moves from behind them, goes from the right of the screen to the left. And oh, you're like, I noticed that, and happening. I'm like, ooh, I was like, ooh the power shift. just shifted in this conversation. Not like that, they have a pipe measuring contest. <laughs> I, I <laughs> The first time I watched I this film, that. I was like, well, I wonder what that's an illusion to. Oh,
0: my gosh. That, and also, I noticed that Tarantino uses smoking or the lighting of fires to um, indicate tension mm-hmm. in a scene oh, is yeah. about to happen, or is happening. I noticed Man that every explosions. time it's like... Any t- yeah really um but it was like small it was like that that smoldering like have you ever heard the phrase like lighting a match under a turtle no yeah so it is I don't know if it's an, I don't think it's an urban legend but it, it references how um, if you light a match under a turtle the heat being uncomfortable the turtle will creep into its shell to try to um, like stay away from the 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 heat or whatever but then the turtle will literally get cooked inside of its own shell. If you leave the match under it.
1: Huh. Yeah. Okay. Because it
0: won't come out because it's shying away from danger. And that's kind of what these moments reminded me of. Like it was a little unassuming flame, but it was an unassuming flame that indicated greater danger.
1: Oh, yeah. It, and it, uh, I yeah.
0: noticed in every tense conversation, uh, like a flame was lit. Somebody lit a cigarette. Somebody lit a lighter. Well, think about that too. A lot of people pies. do
1: that to calm their anxiety. A lot of people who smoke, they're like, I oh, smoke true. to calm my anxiety. Ooh, that's very true. So you could also Mm -hmm. argue that that's a tell for him. If someone's starting to smoke, they're anxious. What are they anxious about?
0: Mm, That's true. Which, I mean, like, that actor and that character played it really coolly, which a lot of the families that... He did. um, A lot of the families that did try to shelter Jewish families would do that. If you've ever read Corey Ten Boom, um, her family sheltered some of their Jewish neighbors, and their family would do drills during the nighttime um, and they would burst in and wake her up when she was in a dead sleep and drill her and ask her questions like, are you hiding any Jews in this household? Like, do you know what happened to this family? And they would drill it and drill it and drill it with her even until the point where even in the dead of sleep, she could wake up and give a convincing answer.
1: That's impressive. And they
0: successfully hid some of their Jewish neighbors in an annex in their wall for years. That's dope. Not years, but for a long time. Yeah. And and so that's very, very real. He was very convincing. And if you think about it, he did convincingly hide his Jewish neighbors mm-hmm. the first time. When right. The, they already when came the one Gestapo time. When the Gestapo came through. They already came and went. And then when Hans Landa got hired to do the same thing and to suss out the rest of the Jewish people in France, that's when he lost it because this guy's that good.
1: Here's the thing about that first 20 minutes is that first 20 minutes tells you a lot about how the film might end because I loved his speech where he says, he talks about the rat and the hawk and a squirrel. Mm -hmm. He's like, okay, well, you don't like rats, right? And the guy's like, no, I guess not. He's like, well, what do you feel about squirrels? Squirrels. Those are cute, right? right? Which but it also a, a, rodent. a very
0: important. It was very important allegory because rats were that was often the animal imagery that the Jewish people used to describe, or I'm sorry, that the the German people used to describe Jewish people, mm-hmm. like in real life, um, where they they were called rats or mice, uh-huh. um,
1: because they were were a plague that needed to be exterminated. But he <laughs> talks about he's like, we just there's we don't know why we don't like them. We just don't. Right, he he already knows that it's a messed up reason. He knows it's a messed up reason they're killing Jews. He knows it. Mm-hmm. He's like, but I'm good at it. I'm good at this job, and it's so funny because mm-hmm. you have to juxtapose that conversation with the one he has at the end with Hans Landa, or no, with um Aldo Rain. With Aldo. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's he he's like, they call me. They're like, you you're the Jew hunter. I don't even like that moniker. But at the beginning, he's like,
0: that's what I am. As, like, I'm good you're at You're aware of my reputation, are you not?
1: Right. Yes. You. Um, it's. It's. He plays his cards well. That's why. I really. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. A he's very he's good a strategist. Villain. He's a tactician. He is. Um, he's which so good. I
0: made a comment on that. I'm. I'm glad that you brought up the the conversation at the end with Aldo because I call it the interrogation scene. Um. Or uh, not the interrogation, but the negotiation scene because it happens. Multiple times throughout in this the film, movie, sure does. You pay the lighting too, viewpoints. Oh, no, I didn't. You know, I forget to pay attention spotlights. to the lighting, I just watch it like it's real life. I'm sorry, spotlights. Um, oh, A you're lot right, in this film. um, especially in that ending negotiation,
1: the ending um, and the beginning. There's a spotlight so, in, that ca- in that cottage. Oh,
0: you're right. There is. Unless they have a skylight, there's a freaking spotlight it's in that separ- scene. Well, they
1: have a lot of, they have a lot of spotlights throughout this film. And I was like, because I love the the look of this film in general, but I, I really paid attention to lighting this time. It's like, there are lighting motivations in this film, but some of them I'm like, I don't know why they would use the lighting there. But they, like the spotlighting when there's interrogations or discussions, they do that a lot in this film
0: which i mean harkens to you know like detective old detective mm-hmm. world detective stories like where they use a little like Hans Landa is. he's a detective. Mhm. Yeah, and so but i noticed um the negotiation scene comes up from the good guy side and it is um it's aldo rain doing that same negotiation with Werner, uh-huh. Um when they, when they're like trying to negotiate with them and like, tell us, you know, what, how many German troops there are, what kind of artillery they have, where they're, where they're located. Um, and they, they kill Werner and they ask the next guy and they're like, all right, want to try again? <laughs> um It's the same thing. He kind of like gives the same terms. He's in the same position of power. Basically the stakes are, look, if you tell me the information I need to know, you get to live. But he's... the difference is it's from the good guy's side. And if you notice, they do the lighting differently, which I'm sure you did notice. But where Londa gets a spotlight because he is an interrogator digging for answers, uh, Aldo does not get a spotlight. He's just out in nature because what? he's on the good guy's I'm side. I'm glad
1: you brought this up because the juxtaposition between those two characters is what I noticed the most in this film. Didn't really think about it before until I watched it the last few, a couple days ago. And I was like, my gosh... This film is literally a. You have this charming, smart, detective, awful, scary man, like covertly scary man. And this very. Lieutenant Al Lorraine is not hiding exactly who he is. It it is a testament to the gritty American. Quintessential World War II American. (laughs) Thank you. That's exactly what he is. He's got an accent. He's from the mountains. He's. It's insane because I'm sorry. you have these two I... men who are very, very good at what they do. One is to the point, and mm-hmm. one is covert and charming, and he does it slowly.
0: Mm-hmm. And, but oh. I, I noticed they used this. They used very similar tactics throughout the whole movie for what they were trying to achieve, and, and it was like once I noticed it, I was a little bit uncomfortable with it. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Their characters are literally like doing. The same things. And I'm like, okay, but also you have to make a couple of sacrifices decision wise when you're fighting that kind of evil. Mm-hmm. You don't get to fight that kind of evil and play 100% by the rules all the time because then evil wins. And also, like, think no, about you have to how often dig do down either, and do things
1: differently. How often do either of them get their hands dirty? Right? Neither. Right. Except at,
0: well, at the mean, very
1: end. Well, okay, that's not necessarily true because Aldo Rain does kind of get his hands dirty. He makes them. He's
0: always in the thick of it. He is, but, but you I mean, don't see it that just indicates all the time. how much of a good
1: guy he is. You don't always no, see you don't. him doing it. But it's when you see him making the marks on the Nazis, that's when you see it. And mm-hmm. like, you don't see Hans Landa getting his hands dirty until the end when he, spoiler alert, chokes um, Von Hammer's mark. That's the first time Ugh. he got his hands dirty. And fun fact, Which, that's Quentin Tarantino's that hands in that scene. That's Quentin Tarantino's hands. Oh, he's actually choking her. He
0: always has a little baby cameo. He's also one of the voices in the propaganda mm-hmm. movie.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The Nation's Pride movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's one of the voices in that too. Um, I thought that was really interesting that Hans Landa choked Von Hammersmark. Um, because, and I'll, I'll tell you why I found that significant, because obviously that was a very conscious film choice, because uh-huh. um, he has a gun, he has a knife, he has a standard issue gun and knife, he has a vaulter, and he has a, uh, his little blade that is, like, standard issue with the German uniform. Mm-hmm. Anyway, because uh, he hands it over to Aldo at the end of the movie. Um, coulda shot her, coulda stabbed her. He chose to choke her. Not like because he was like trying not to make noise or anything. Because there's plenty of people milling about. There's a movie going on. It's not like a gunshot would go at this point. Like, most the people noticed. are in the
1: theater, though,
0: right? Um, but they're they're inside like the auditorium, and he's mm-hmm. outside of it in one of like the external offices, right? And so he could have chosen another method of death, but he chose strangulation. Mm-hmm. From all of my true crime listening, strangulation is incredibly personal uh-huh. way to kill, and. That is, to me, I think that was a conscious film decision because von Hammerschlag is German. And so to him, it was personal. Uh-huh. You are a German who betrayed our country, who mm-hmm. betrayed our cause. Mm-hmm. So her betrayal was personal. And so her he death was had to be angry.
1: personal.
0: He was big mad from that scene. I felt so too. bad. Yeah, you could argue that too. Because I, it's so uncomfortable it's so uncomfortable, and I love Diane Kruger too. She's one Phenomenal of my not one of my favorite actresses, but I love whenever she's in a movie. I've loved her since seeing her in um, National Treasure. That's actually. what I was gonna say. That
1: I think that's the first thing I remember her in, other than Inglorious Bastards, which was in, uh, not in Night at the Museum, National Treasure.
0: Yeah, because and I loved her because she's married to, or she well, she was married to uh, Joshua Jackson, who is one of my favorite actors. And, um, he, she actually has a brief cameo in an episode of fringe, which is a TV show that he was doing. Um, and so I, like, I've always liked her and I was really excited because I knew that she could speak German because they mention it very accurately in national treasure. When, uh, Nick Cage points out her accent, he's like, Oh, your accent, Pennsylvania Dutch. And she goes Saxony German. She really is <laughs> from lower Saxony. And uh, so I was very excited because I guess Tarantino didn't want to cast her because he didn't think that she'd be able to nail the accent and then she just walks in and casually does fluent German and he's like, oh,
1: you're hired. (laughs) Fluent German, fluent French, fluent English. again All these polyglots in this film.
0: I know, man. I appreciate an actor who can speak a different language. I should learn how to speak a different language. Adds to to to-do list.
1: But man, yeah, I, I really appreciated the juxtaposition of those two characters, like Hans Landa and Lieutenant Aldo mm-hmm. Rain. It, it's just, it's, it's so apparent, again, now that I'm older, to see the, again, you have the 20 minutes of Hans Landa being Hans Landa, and then you have two minutes of Aldo Rain giving a monologue, and he's like, and I want my scalps. Okay, sir, done. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: From the second we form this brigade, you owe me a debt personally. I, um, uh... that is 100 Nancy Scalps. <laughs> and I want absolutely love it. Which let me talk about Aldo Rain's character for a little bit. Um, okay. because there's two things about his character that I absolutely love, and I love it, love it, love it when writers do this. Um, and it was when it's, it's something that Tarantino decided to do with symbolism regarding um, Aldo's character. Um, Because he gave us details about his character without fleshing them out, but it was enough to make us understand that his character is awesome. And there's two things. One, um, it's very, very briefly done with uh, the patch on Aldo's uniform. He has a red arrowhead patch, um, which is the patch for the Black Devils from World War II, which was the very first Special Forces group. Mmm. But they don't ever explain it. He does briefly go over his military history. He's like, I didn't fight through the hills of wherever and land on the beaches of France and and do this. And, um, And that is what the special forces... A group in world war ii did that was what their exploits were so they never explain it they just slap the patch on his arm and if you figure it out great you now know that his character is more awesome than you thought he was
1: i appreciate things um, like that though being able to like google some stuff and be like oh that's you know you yes. can learn this, this the story of the character because you can also do that with mm-hmm. uh, Stiglitz. he has that little knife and it has a german phrase on it man it is escaping me what it says but something about like I think it's like my, my loyalty is my honor, or some, something. Yeah, something like or that. Honor
0: is my loyalty. It's Vaguely like, translate to that. Up German, which is the standard issue German knife. Um, which I believe wasn't he former? Was is Isn't he a German defector? Stiglitz character?
1: Yes, he is a German. Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah, and so he carries around the knife from his uniform, um, which says like "loyalty is my honor" on it, and then kills Nazis with it. Like, my loyalty was misplaced, and I regret it, and so I'm going to kill you with it. (laughs) Um, But the other thing that I love about Aldo's character is the scar on his neck. Yes. He has a very obvious scar that basically wraps, like, Jack the Ripper style from ear to ear. And they never touch on it. They never say a thing about it, but, like, if you were in question at all about how Awesome! This character is—he has literally survived getting his throat slit. Uh huh. Like this movie is rated R. Like this movie is rated (laughs) R. Like, and then they never, but they never say anything about it. And I love it when, when, when directors and writers do that when they give you information and don't expound upon it because it makes you intellectually involved with Uh the film that you're watching. It it takes your your work from being entertainment and it elevates it to art and fiction. Uh-huh. And I, mm, it's so good. I and I love that they did that for his character and I will forever love that they did that for his character. And I was s- including the very real special forces group of the Black Devils.
1: <laughs> I will say upon, you know, being older and watching this film again, I think for the first time like seven or eight years he is now, he's my second favorite character in this film is Aldo Rain. Like I loved him back then, but he was, mm-hmm. he was just, he to me, he was more comedic. But after, you know, being older, wiser, gone through film school, I'm like, okay, I see exactly why they have this character in the film now. He, he's mm-hmm. the foil to Hans. Wanda. Now you can appreciate it.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Ooh, absolutely. Good use of the word foil. I forgot about that word. <laughs> oh, you're
1: welcome. You're welcome.
0: Yeah, which foil for anyone who is wondering is the um like creative like writing term for so like a character's exact opposite, and they're they are purposely written into storylines to describe um someone who is meant to juxtapose another character, and it's the word for it is called a foil.
1: I want to ask you something since we've talked about the other two, you know, the other two main characters. What are your thoughts on Jojana Imamuel?
0: Oh, I mean the actress or like the, the character. The character? So, mm,
1: i love it i love it i love it because it she's kind is... of the heart of the film she, she's a what she's i would say she's kind of the heart of the film
0: like yeah, once okay, you find so out who funny she
1: is you're like oh 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 it's funny that you
0: say that because i i made this comment because and spoiler alert coming next um when Shoshana dies which i think she always intended to
1: um, they very much allude to it to before the ending happens. Like she and right, have Marcel have that moment
0: when he lights up the theater. I think stays in there and he's crying and he mm-hmm. doesn't know that Shoshana is dead. So I think they both meant to go up with the theater. Oh, yeah. I don't think they meant to make it out. Um. So, ooh, ADHD brain? What was I talking about? No, okay, her character. Um. It's it's funny. So when when she dies and she and Zoller both die I almost called them Zemo they're why do their names both have to start with Z's. um when she and Frederick Zoller both die at each other's hands I like had this like like metaphysical like out of body experience and I was like what if this movie is actually just a bird's eye view of like a Romeo and Juliet story <laughs>
1: it Honestly, the first time I watched this film, first I was like, why are you going up to him? Stop, stop, stop. What are you doing? Stop. Right? But she feels,
0: like, and the music tells you, the music switches and it's tender. And it's because, like, for a second, she, she feels the gravity of her actions. Like, mm-hmm. because, yeah, okay, she was going to be the... What is the word I'm looking for here? Like the remote death Mm -hmm. of all the people in the theater. She was going to cause their deaths, but not be the direct cause necessarily. Right. Um. Not directly be the bringer of death upon them. But with Zola, she was like she physically pulled the trigger on him. Um. And like I mean, she get I get it. She had to. He was supposed to go up with the theater anyway. But like she, I don't. Up until that point, I don't know that she had actually killed a person. And so, and, and it was somebody who actually did, like, genuinely care about her right up until the end point when he's a scumbag. Right. Um, but, like, liked her and wanted to, I don't know, like, maybe, like, date her, have her, like, was, was sweet and, like, bothered her. Yeah. Like, if she had not been um, a Jewish person in disguise, like, it would have been, like, a French, like, German sympathizer and, like, probably would have dated him. Maybe. And he was just, you know, courting her. And And that's the
1: thing is, like, you know he's a bad guy, but you're like, he's kind of charming. Like, if he, if he, if it weren't in these circumstances that he were a Nazi and she were Jewish and all these horrible things were happening, could they have fallen in love? Could they have been happy? You never know. That being said, she already had Marcel. But. Yes. We don't know that right at that point. The flip side of
0: that, um, I don't know, I was, because I was thinking about this, too, is, like, him being a war hero is, and especially because we meet him, Sans the context of the German army,
1: Uh-huh. we don't um, even know what he's I feel done like, at this point,
0: right? And he eventually tells her, but like it's very clear that he's a war hero, and 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 she obviously she figures it out later, and she's like, oh, so you're a war hero, and he explains it, but like it's something that we can appreciate because like we. We would have a very similar war hero in our own culture, especially World War II men who were considered snipers um, in World War II were often the face of like war propaganda because they were so they were held in such high respect in their cultures. So it's almost like a character that we can have some kind of appreciation for because he doesn't get introduced in the context of the German army. like if we saw him actually shooting Americans, like, we would have hated him. But we didn't see that first. We just saw him being nice to Emmanuel. And and the only we context we have is he's a, a Nazi. Later.
1: Right? Like, all we know like, like, he's context Nazi, we have is he's a so we a have to Nazi. dislike him.
0: Right. So, I don't know. He, there, her character and her involvement with Zoller was a very interesting twist. Like, what mm-hmm. what moves you to write in a German war hero, like, having the hots for her? Um but I I liked her overall her character arc because ultimately I th- I think she is what could be described as the main character of the plot. Yeah, I'd agree. I hundred percent agree on is, that. Like you could you could write the whole thing from her perspective. You could. You very, um, and you I, could. I guess Tarantino. Tarantino actually worked on this film for like over a decade. That is uh, not shocking. Before he was shocking. actually able, I write. I mean, I, I mean, like have I've also worked on pieces for forever. So, I'd, it's creatives, man. We don't work on one thing for very long. <laughs> um, So, he worked on this for, like, over a decade, and originally, he said it got so big, and there were so many moving parts that he was thinking about making it a mini series.
1: I would watch Inglorious like, Best was the series. Dang, I
0: would have watched that. Like, you tell me we would have gotten, like, Shasana's life all fleshed out? I would have loved like to that, see like, where like, her- she went
1: from being Jew under the, the, the house to Emmanuel, you know I right. would love to see how that happened. How
0: did she like? Did they have a daughter? Who I watched died? that movie, and so I would too, because that would echo a lot of like female World War II and and those kinds of stories that like and Holocaust stories that we have seen, like you know Anne Frank, Corey Ten Boom, like we have seen those. Um, the the Little Bird movie that's going to come out that is going to make me cry with Helen Heron, <laughs> who's one of my favorites. Like we've seen that and it makes it so vulnerable and personal somehow to watch not only a, a Jewish person, but, but a, a female who is vulnerable and just trying to survive this horrific occupation and genocide. Mm-hmm. Like it's just heart wrenching. Love her. Um, yes. Her, her character. I mean, like, like you talked about, try going up against that at any award
1: season. <laughs> it's, her story is so amazing to me, but I also feel like her story and her, she's like, I have to make this film. And then she dies making her film. It's almost mm-hmm. metaphoric to like the aspiring actor really trying to get there and trying to make their way. And then at the end, they burn out. You know, I feel like it's Oof. it's it's kind of a metaphor for creatives. Like you say, like we work so hard mm-hmm. to get something. Or like something. a one hit wonder. Mm-hmm. You try so hard to get something done and you, you put your heart and your soul behind it. And then, like, it's finally coming to fruition. Everything's happening. She finally, she's there at the center stage of her story. She's about to have her whole cinema go up in flames. And then, dang, Frederick Zoller coming in and ruining it. Mm -hmm. Well, he didn't necessarily ruin it. It It still happened, but she didn't get to see the fruits of her labor. Kind of like Van Gogh. It's true.
0: Yeah. mm Mm-hmm. Which... Makes sense though, because many artists become famous posthumously.
1: Yep. And that's why I think this was really interesting that you you could argue again, that's the again, the only metaphor or symbolism I really got out of this film was she is kind There's of There's a the, little bit of it
0: sprinkled in there. It's sprinkled but, yeah, here and that's in, here and there. Ones. But
1: that's the biggest one I could find was just kind of the metaphor for the aspiring creative actor, whatever you whatever you will in that category of mm-hmm. making and becoming in your life. Yeah. You know, I, I felt that story as, Interesting. and, and, and that's Quentin Tarantino like that. too, like it's a movie, he's a movie maker and yep. there's a movie being made in this film. I also, cause we're getting close to the end. I want to point out some, some really cool things about the set. So, um, but before we
0: jump on set, there's one thing that I definitely want us to get to. Okay. And I do want to explain the title
1: to our listeners. Go for it.
0: Because it is goofy. Uh, do, what are, do you have any thoughts on it that you want to share with me?
1: The title of the film? Like the film, film. Yeah, the title of the film.
0: film. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. The title of the film, the whole movie, *Inglorious Bastards*.
1: Love it. <laughs> Do you... <laughs> I love excellent? The title. Well done.
0: Love your thoughts. Thank, thank you, you. Thank you.
1: I mean, <laughs> I. It always bothered me as a kid because I now spell *Inglorious* incorrectly because of this movie. Oh no! Well, it's not even a word. Well, I glorious. Don't think
0: *Inglorious* is a word, but
1: *Glorious* I will spell with an O U when I know it's just O R. Oh. Which I believe is might be the British way to spell it. Could be. Um, Makes sense.
0: Yeah. But so, obviously, like, take a look at the title. "Inglorious Bastards is spelled very wrong. Both words are spelled incorrectly. Uh-huh. Um, people have asked Tarantino about the about the title over the years, and he always gives a non-answer, and I love it. Um, actually, one of my, my favorite answers that he ever gave kind of echoed, like, Oscar Wilde and Einstein and said, Here's the thing. I'm never going to explain that. You do an artistic flourish like that, and to explain it would just take all the piss out of it and invalidate the whole stroke in the first place.
1: I like that it's weird and messed up. It makes sense for the film. It makes sense especially for the the bastards themselves. Like, they're messed up. They're a weird group of people that have come together to do some really heinous things. And it would make so, sense to me to have a weird title like Inglorious Bastard that's spelled wrong and makes doesn't make sense.
0: Sure, it's just like kind of off kilter. Um, but, but to me and what I feel like the best explanation for it is, and I, I back this up by when we see the title card in the movie itself, it's not written in like the big Nazi propaganda font like it is on the posters. It's written in crappy eighth grade boy handwriting, which is what the No hate to eighth grade boy handwriters out there. Okay, but no, also hate (laughs) to eighth grade boy handwriting because I had many a love note and I'm like- Guys, what is this word? Uh, it here's to all the of thing my why I can't wait
1: is because my handwriting is that of an eighth grade boy. You've seen it.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I just I have a, a pet peeve about handwriting. Like, I can decipher anyone's handwriting. I was a high school English teacher. I can read Doctor's Chicken Scratch. Like, but still, it's I don't anyway, it's eighth grade boy handwriting. And but that's that's how these boys, I mean like which which is what they would essentially be, like if we're talking about true to World War II age, like these a lot of these kids have gotta be seventeen, eighteen, nineteen years old when they joined. And so their their education not gonna go very far. Or honestly, they probably weren't paying a whole lot of attention in English class because they were dreaming about the day that they could join the military and go fight for their country. Mm-hmm. And so they're do. gonna spell words wrong, you know? Like it's it's just that simple and and I think that that's what it is that it's it's written how one of the bastards would have written it and it's as simple as that yeah so be, you know and that's that's what I like because and also I'll throw this out there because I wanted to mention it earlier um I I do I just really love this movie because it's personal for me my my still living uncle by the way is in fact a World War II veteran wow uh, my uncle Charlie he's how does that man? 98, 99 years old or something. Like, he enlisted at, like, 17, 18, and he is still kicking, driving his little red Corvette around. thank oh, like, no way. He is awesome. He is the epitome of what a World War II veteran should be. He used to make chocolate.
1: Oh. was awesome.
0: He used to make chocolate and drive a red Corvette, and I'm like, that is American right there. <laughs> so... Uh, so yeah, that would be my explanation of the title because I always wondered about that. And so for this episode, I was like, I gotta like if this was my question for the movie, like I have to answer my own question Fair for enough. the episode. Fair enough. So so yes, let's jump to production uh, and like set design and stuff real fast so we make sure to get to it because I also I very just want to say it.
1: a couple things. First, camera work is great in this film, and I love their use of Dutch angles yes, at the right moment. Facts. Even I noticed it. Small thing about camera, camera work. Cause it's me. I love the camera work in this film. It's really good. The shot framing also wonderful. My favorite shot. Well, actually, no, let me backtrack for a second. Most of these sets were all built in Germany or used in Germany. I think there's only one scene that is not shot in Germany. There's one, what was the cafe scene? It doesn't matter, whatever. It's not important, but mm-hmm. all these scenes were built in Germany. What's funny, though, is that Gerbil, the filmmaker, they actually shot a lot of their stuff where he shot his stuff, which is crazy to me. That was what? great. Yes. They shot a, most of That's this. That's bananas. Most of this movie was shot exactly where Goebbels shot all of his propaganda stuff. So that was a really interesting thing. Yes.
0: So for people who are watching, like, obviously this film is fictitious, but it does bring in real life characters and I forget what the dude's first name is, um, but Goebbel, um, he is he was in fact like a real person in Hitler's organization mm-hmm. and he was their propaganda person. Um, he literally filmed and distributed all of the war propaganda to encourage Germany about their mission, tell mm. them they were doing the right thing, convince people to join. He was a real person and a terrible person.
1: Yes. And
0: so, so I love that they included him.
1: What they tried to do was actually find locations, but with their limited budget, they they ended up building a lot of these stages in a lot of these places. Um, what I love is the shot where Jojana is getting ready for the the Nazi movie night or whatever. And they have the camera mm-hmm. oh, I come love up that and follow her loved- through the set. I love when shots show you that it's, again, a film within a film. It's so neat that you can see this, like, mm-hmm. inception. Like, the camera comes up, follows her across the set. And down the stairs. Yeah. Oh man, blows my mind. Love that. But I want everyone to appreciate. Like when they pan down into the Lapadite's basement
0: and you see like the edge of the where the boards stop and mm-hmm. where the camera is going to be poking into the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love
1: that. Love that. And I, I, I love when films do. That. I want to. I just want people to really appreciate that all these sets. A lot of these sets were built, or they were filmed in Germany. Which again, this movie is supposed to take place in France, of all places, but it's filmed in Germany. I know. And then, uh, but let's be
0: authentic. So Germany. Right.
1: Right, <laughs> you're right. Um, uh, man, what was my last little point? Um, German, blah blah blah. I'm gonna be so mad that I don't remember it.
0: Um, I did. There was one camera angle thing that I picked up on that I did really like, and that was the um, like the interrogation or the negotiation scene that I mentioned between Aldo and that that officer Werner. Uh-huh. Um, and then they kill him. Um, and then the last dude they're talking to him, but he doesn't speak any English, so Aldo has to have Wiki. Um interpret and so then the sh- the camera just pans in one shot back and forth between aldo wiki german kid map
1: yes, german kid love wiki aldo so back
0: good. and forth back and forth all in one shot
1: it's not a cut it's all in one shot and i absolutely I love that loved scene. It. <laughs> yes the camera work is fun in this film oh that's what it was there are zero practical effects in this film wait or excuse me again? there are zero effects in this film it's all practical I'm a sucker so for So everything practical catching effects. on I fire, practical effects. Practi- that's all yes.
0: practical. If, if I remember correctly and reading I wondered, correctly, there were no
1: effects in this film. Everything was done right there.
0: I wondered about that because the fire looked so good. Because that's one of the first things I notice in film is like when fire is not real, when it's done by that one program that I can't think of right now, uh, the one they used for Harry Potter, um, I can always tell. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's not real fire. It's fake fire. Because fire doesn't move like that. Right. It's it's much more fine point than that. And I loved that they didn't use any special effects in this movie. So
1: that's... Those are the two <sighs> things I want to be like... Appreciate... I mean, appreciate all the things we said before. But like two little things... Not little. They're really big. But two things I really appreciate about this set or this movie was. The fact that they all were practical. Everything was real. The sets were amazing. And the historical facts behind um, the sets. Fun fact... Uh. Apparently, this movie was shot sequentially, too. That's insane. Films don't get filmed sequentially, but I love that, honestly.
0: Like, so for people who don't know, shooting a film sequentially is, like, impossible. Mm -hmm. Because most of the time, you have... You have scenes in the movie that, that bounce from one set to the other. So you'll have, like, 30% of the movie that's actually all filmed at somebody's house. And then you have 30% of the movie that's actually filmed at somebody's school. And then, like, the rest of it that takes place in Adventure in the Mountains or whatever. So, but, like, it'll bounce back and forth, <laughs> especially when on, like, there's, like, like your memories actor that happen. Too. You, right. And the, depending on when you can get your actors scheduled. So, like, that means that they had to be available for the entirety of filming. No wonder Simon Pegg couldn't make it. So... It's, it's like, next to impossible. So what you do is all the films that take place in this character... Or all the scenes that take place in this character's house, you shoot them all at once. All the scenes that take place in the mountains, whether they be at the beginning of the movie or the end of the movie, you shoot them all at once. Right. And then you have editing, stitch it together, and put it all in sequential order. Mm-hmm. So to shoot a film sequentially in this day and age is bananas. This day and age. Dedication. It a long time ago at this point. Like... Well, yeah, really. Okay. It's still this day and age... Two thousand was just a few making. years ago, okay. <laughs> I can't. Oh, that's I'm all I gotta say about that's the film. Happening. I mean, I
1: could say more, but we gotta wrap.
0: I could also say more. Um, I have, I have one little tiny tidbit to add that I noticed. Um, as I feel like it's like a satirical, joking nod, but at the end, when Aldo's all dressed up in his, uh, his tuxedo or whatever for the movie <laughs> yeah. premiere, and he's horribly playing... A guy with an Italian accent named Gorlami.
1: Gorlami. Um,
0: Say it again. They literally, they literally have this man dressed up like Colonel Sanders. It's
1: cracking me up too that the guy who speaks no Italian Hanson is like, great, (laughs) perfect. can't like i
0: can't believe they actually dressed him up like that you can't tell me that wasn't on purpose like you Great. can't tell me you look at someone with the most southern accent i've ever heard in my life and dress him up in a white tuxedo with a black bow tie and not go hey he looks like colonel sanders
1: i never i mean i didn't make that connection but i it is funny now that you mentioned
0: it. <laughs> and i feel like it had to be it had to be on the nose because it was too intentional not to be and it's it's like a joke because he's so southern there's no way he's italian
1: Gorlami.
0: Oh, uh, Gorlami. All right, so that concludes our episode on Inglorious Bastards. Um, today we talked about the phenomenal acting by Christoph Waltz and really everybody in this film. Excellent uh, all cast. All the intentionality. Excellent cast. All the intentionality that went into making this movie and and the genuine homage that it paid true history from World War II. Um, a special appreciation to that. Um, so make sure to tune in next week as we are going to be talking about, what are we talking about next week, Cherie? I don't think we (gasps) decided. I remember what we're talking about next week. Yes, we did. Did we? Yes, we did. Yes, we did. So next, uh, next week, our episode is going to be releasing on September the 1st. And oh, yeah. because we. <laughs> this is my idea. How did I forget because already? It's been long enough, and we have tortured you guys for long enough. Uh, because little wizards and witches will be going off to school, we will finally be doing Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone because term starts on September the 1st. It does. So. Be back here next week for the fall craze to start. We will be talking about Harry Potter. I promise not to disappoint. I have a lot to say. I'm going to reread the book in preparation for next week's episode. So not a single thing will be missed.
1: We are talking about the movie,
0: ma'am. Nope, I will be talking about the book, too, and you can't stop me. Also, special note, (laughs) Apple Podcast is finally adding artwork for each of the episodes. So uh, you guys will finally get to see those beautiful promo arts that I uh, design for each episode. Um, They're on Spotify and I believe Amazon Music, but Apple's finally catching up with the game and putting them on there, too. So I'm super excited for that. So stay tuned to be able to see all of the artwork I design for each episode. Um, So that's it for today. Roll credits cinematic pulse is edited and produced by sheree jackson the episodes and theme are written and performed by yours truly make sure to follow us on instagram facebook and tiktok and you can find cinematic pulse on apple Podcasts, spotify and amazon music make sure to subscribe to our patreon thank you so much for listening because we just checked your cinematic pulse